Hier komen we in vreemd. Listening to Red Flag Radio, we record the show on Indigenous land, land that was stolen, that was never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. My name is Rose and I'm here with Liam Ward, who's the uh, producer of the show along with me and uh, our special guest friend of the show back again, Louise O'Shea, one of the editors of Red Flag Newspaper. Welcome back, Louise. Thanks, Rose. And so we thought we wanted to follow up and... um. Kind of it's important, I think, uh, to have a bit of a follow-up on this because it seems like the pressure is off the Morrison government a bit around this question of sexism, like this brutal story of rape and sexual assault with a government minister who has uh, conveniently um, disappeared off the scene for a while and is now we'll talk about um, suing for defamation and we'll be careful <laughs> when we talk about that, uh, you know, and... Um, we've just seen the release of some consent materials, which we're going to talk about, and a bunch of other stuff that's happened. But, I mean, let's start with, like, the way that Scott Morrison as the Prime Minister, you know, who was called upon multiple, multiple, multiple times. In fact, the journalists have been doing a reasonable job of trying to figure out um, and put some pressure on the Liberal Party to do something to address these issues. What's your rating uh, zero to ten. Scott Morrison's response <laughs> to all of these allegations. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to take bets on what you will say here, Louise. But yeah, <laughs> how's Morrison dealt with the issue? Oh, I give Morrison a one. Oh, I think one. maybe a point five. Generous. Um, yeah, I mean, and the point five is just for entertainment value, really. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's opened up an absolute deluge of examples of the rotten politics towards women that dominates, it seems, Liberal Party and Conservative politics in general. Um, and I think Morrison's response to this is just to stonewall, just to pig-headedly refuse to take any meaningful action and not capitulate to what he and a lot of his supporters would see as the demands of social justice warriors, people who think social justice is important and they're the sort of people that Morrison has nothing but contempt for. Um, and so people are uh, disciplined and punished for much more minor offences than uh, what's gone on in the federal parliament where basically, um, you know, there's been no serious repercussions for anyone. Um, Morrison's held out against calling an inquiry. He's not asked um, Porter to step down or... Um, step aside. He's continued to express complete confidence. Um, he's also taken no action against the um, all the more minor figures who've helped cover this up, like Linda Reynolds, and who've demonstrated terrible sexist attitudes. You know, a bit of reshuffling around who's in these six-figure um, jobs is not meaningful action. Um, and added to that, these people have been able to take long periods of sick leave and mental health leave to uh, recuperate rather than do be some accountable. Awareness training, yep. yeah. Mm. Yeah, or do a bit of a course and sit through a course on awareness training. Um, and you think about, you know, if most working class people get offside or bring any sort of disrepute to the business they work for, 
they're out, you know, unless they've got a very good agreement. Um, and for a lot less than being accused of the sort of serious crimes that Christian Porter has. I mean, I once lost a job for not smiling enough. Like that was enough to, to get me sacked. And that's, as far as I'm aware, not a criminal offence. Um, and it was, you know, always alleged. I vehemently denied it. So, <laughs> yeah, I just think it shows what a double standard there is. And, you know, why would anyone think this government takes the treatment of women and attitudes towards mm-hmm. women seriously? And then added to that, you have these people on a counterattack by using the defamation law, defamation law that they themselves have criticised for being too much of an incursion on the right to free speech to try and frame themselves as the victims, like they're the ones that are hard done by. They've been wronged by the press for airing these allegations. Mm-hmm. And then when people speak out against that, people like Tom Ballard, who made the very legitimate point that people who support the Liberal Party in the face of all this should be condemned, they're the ones that actually get shut down, lose their jobs. By the the left-wing ABC, no less. Mm. Yes. Supposedly, yeah. I mean, and I think there's another thing that's pernicious as well about the sick leave, mental health leave element of the response um, that's not just like most workers wouldn't just get to take as much sick leave as they want whenever they want, but the fact that they are now – making that correlation between somebody has quite obviously and blatantly sexually assaulted people um, and they get to they get that connected with some sort of mental they've got mental health issues not that they did it because they fucking chose to do it and they're a dis- mm. disgusting sexist pig it's because they mm. must be there's some mental health there's got to be something going on and they're not okay it's like well also when do other people get to use that as an excuse for the actions that they've taken like ordinary people mm. don't get to do that go don't get to mm. say oh no my you know i've i'm really tired recently and i've probably done things that i wouldn't normally do yeah so yeah that just excuses it no it's, it's like yeah unbelievable double standards uh, as, as much as anything yeah mm. and i think they just like the government knows or morrison knows that you can't actually punish this behavior because this is a stock in trade of a liberal or conservative government, you know, they're purveyors of social inequality. They're the ones that create the policies that um, that maintain the social inequality. And so, you know, they have to walk this line between seeming like they have a certain degree of moral uprightness but also having to normal continue to normalise the idea that some people are treated with contempt or disdain or in an abusive way by the people higher up in the pecking order because that's the sort of society that ultimately they're for. Um, And that's what we talked about last time as the missing element from these discussions and it still hasn't been part of the discussions. Like what is the broader agenda of the Liberal Party in oppressing all sorts of groups of people in society, no less the working class and that idea that it's much more convenient for them to put the blame on ordinary people for being sexist and you know they're trying they're probably having discussions like you have to relate to men working class men Mm. and you know they're sexist and racist so you know it's not surprising that it's reflected in the attitudes of people in politics because they're you know just trying to suck up to people but it's actually you know it's never that it's never framed the other way around to say that ordinary Mm. workers you know 
uh, all the crowds at the football are taking on the ideas of Scott Morrison and Christian Porter and all that that scum. Uh, mm. And it's not the it's not Christian Porter is not getting his ideas from, you know, <laughs> workers anywhere. This is where he's developed these ideas as part of a broader agenda of class oppression and other forms of oppression. Um, so none of that is even, yeah, been talked about at all. Yeah, I mean, even one of the strategies they've um, put forward to counter to you know counter the um, problems women face is that women should get early access to their super, which is just mm. again about further entrenching inequality. Because even all things being equal, women end their working lives with something like two thirds of the amount of super that um, the equivalent um, man ends their working life with. So the idea that when women are in a situation of crisis or domestic violence, they should further impoverish their future selves by accessing their super rather than the government putting forward a policy where society or the government provides for people and provides them with what they need to get out of a violent situation. Just an absolute (laughs) disgrace, you know, like because it's this social inequality that makes women vulnerable to this sort of treatment in the first place. Mm. And the sort of neoliberal ideology around it's, it's individual's responsibility to kind of deal with their circumstances and mm-hmm. if there's something you know if, if there's some technicality we can enable them to use to help themselves then everyone should pull themselves up by their bootstraps which is not new it's not unique to neoliberalism i think it's part of the argument around what neoliberalism re- represents is a continuation of just capitalism and capitalist social relations, but it does, yeah, it's, it's really stark in this case that it's up to you to kind of sort out your own shit. Um, and the flip side of that is if you're in a situation of crisis or whatever, it's of your own making and it's your responsibility. Except Just, if you're a Liberal MP and then you can continue yeah, claiming your salary and go and get your <laughs> yeah. training and, yeah. and get full pay. a very nice yeah. consultancy job immediately after you resign from Parliament. The other obvious uh, uh, response that I think we should talk about has been the thing about if only there were more women around in Parliament, that it would change the culture of the whole institution and you can't imagine this happening if every member of Parliament was a woman, you know, um, Mm. people would respect each other a lot more and um, Scott Morrison is taken that approach partly in in the reshuffle and the creation of these minister, one of the, what did he say, the, the primary minister for women, and then he was like, oh, no, no, you can't say that. It's like mm. the separate one, and I'll deal with everyone else. Um, the minister for women's economic advancement or whatever, which sounds to me like a extremely pro-business lobby type portfolio, but there's a lot of people who would consider themselves on the left who say, well, yeah, that actually is true. There should be as many women's ministers as you could get in a cabinet and there should be quotas and there should be more women in parliament and more women working in parliamentary offices. Like that is a big part of the problem. What do you say about that? Um, well, I think there should be more women in parliament. I think, you know, um, if there was more women in parliament, it would indicate something about um, how equal um, the society is more generally. But I don't think in the current situation that would change anything. 
um, to do with the sort of ideas that the government promotes about how women should be treated because I think that with the increasing proportion of women in parliament, it has not seen any qualitative change in the sort of policies that governments um, implement because it's not a matter of, um, you know, politicians don't um, put through policies that maintain the gender pay gap that, you know, uh, force the cost of social services more onto workers and away from business because they're men. They do it because it's in the interests of capitalism. They can find sections of the population that will put up with a particularly rough um, rough lot. Well, they'll seize on that and they'll use it to their advantage. And I think that goes for women or men. That's why Linda Reynolds has been uh, implicated in having an absolutely dismissive and contemptuous attitude towards um, Brittany Higgins. Um, and likewise, you know, Michaela Cash seeing it as all as just something that needed PR management to be covered up. Um, and so, yeah, I think while we can absolutely support more women being in Parliament, the fact that the Liberal Party has more or less had to backtrack on its long-standing opposition to quotas or any sort of proactive measures to help people that face structural barriers to getting into Parliament or or achieving whatever they want to achieve, that's a real um uh, it should further discredit what the Liberal Party stands for, that they've had to um, basically concede they've been wrong all this time, pushing the idea that it's a meritocracy and to, to do anything to particularly help oppressed groups is, um, you know, to, to it's tokenism or it's promoting untalented losers or whatever they think. Um, so, you know, that we should be for that, but I think it's, entirely a distraction um, given the context of what's going on. A, that women have played just as bad a role and also you can see the way the structures um, operate to protect the powerful at every level, like whether it's been, you know, the way the um, culture of parliament covers up for people's uh, indiscretions and, you know, disgusting behaviour or it's the way the police have given a much easier ride when there's accusations against um, powerful people than when it's, you know, people that have little to defend them, you know, no apparatus around them to defend them and protect them. Um, you see that it's a big protection racket for people, the absolute bigots that run our society. And, you know, quotas is just not not going to do much to dislodge those structural problems. Like we need radical social change if we want to talk about um, you know, really rooting out the, the you know, misogyny that's second nature to the way power works under capitalism. Yeah, and you mentioned the police. I mean, uh, we don't know exactly what, what went on with the police and um, there's been a few revelations around that in terms of the actions that they wanted to potentially take against Christian Porter. It always struck me that... that um, the thing about COVID and we can't do anything because of COVID. It's like everyone else had to carry on doing their jobs because of COVID and find some technical workaround or do it online or conduct an interview via Zoom or something like, surely this is not some new hurdle that they then were like, oh, it's too difficult to follow up this case. So that raised yeah, some and I suspicion. Think, uh, yeah. Up the chain of command in the police, it was recommended that they go to Adelaide and take the statement. Yeah. It was only when it got right to the top of the chain of command that the, the, the instruction was to wait, defer, leave it. And, you know, that's a classic strategy of 
um, you know, to protect people in power that the more you can drag something out, there's a chance you know, it'll get dropped or the momentum will go or you know, the person will change their mind, which is exactly what happened and plus even more tragic circumstances in this case. And, you know, we, we don't know if the government actively intervened um, in relation to this case, but even if they didn't, you know, you can imagine it's just second nature for the way the police operate when there's something that's, you know, politically sensitive. Um, and, you know, the idea that certain cases are politically sensitive is what provides protection for people in power that the rest of us uh, don't have. Then the other big area of it, I guess, um, in terms of liberal commentary, a small L liberal commentary, is education. So there's this kind of combination of uh, things that people have been calling for and it was illustrated at some of the marches that um, and the march that we went to that didn't actually march in Melbourne, uh, the ironically titled hashtag march for women which stood still the entire time except for a breakaway group of us that did manage to march, which was fantastic. But the speeches there I think reflected some of the key themes um, around we need more women in these positions, uh, we need um, men in these pe- in these positions to have like inductions at work about not raping people and we need a broader kind of education program around consent because clearly people don't understand consent and so this is something we need to teach in schools. Um, so that's been the other thing and just a couple of days ago the materials were released by this uh, slightly creepily named organisation that's hard to get a a handle on who these people are, but they're called The Good Society, um, putting out some uh, educational resources for schools. So that's part of, you know, in terms of the shit show of things that have come out, I think they wanted this to be uh, a centrepiece and it's been widely criticised and ridiculed. Um, Have you watched the Milkshake video, Louise? I have had the misfortune of watching the milkshake video. And, um, yeah, I mean, even though you're the podcast host here in this relation, particular relationship, I thought I would um, move the dial a bit t- towards me being the podcast host and ask you what you think of the Good Society educational resource because the obvious thing anyone, I hope, thinks of when they see this is that absolutely merciless campaign, the federal government, particularly the religious right figures within the federal government that include Scott Morrison, um, the absolute campaign they ran against the Safe Schools Program mm. on the basis that it challenged gender norms, it, it um, uh, talked about gay sex, gay relationships, it, you know, defied a lot of the conservative tropes that people are meant to have instilled in them through the education system and in order to make people think differently about consent. Um, and then, you know, after successfully shutting that down and hounding you, Roz, out of a job as one of the co-creators of the Safe Schools program, then they, you know, not very surprisingly, find their governments um, full of um, misogynists. Then they launch this absolutely bizarre good society thing, which has a very particular take on sex and respect, if you can call it that. If you can figure out yeah, what I mean, that what is. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, the first it. thing that people have, have noticed is what is it's really confusing and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And what and then you're like, well, this is clearly supposed to be 
analogous, like the videos, for example, uh, that are supposed to be analogous to uh, sexual assault or non-consensual sexual activities, but they're not. They're through the, um, yeah, through the analogy of having a milkshake or a taco or something. Um, And these are aimed at upper secondary. So if you think about 16, 17-year-olds being made to watch these videos, it's just, it's insulting and patronizing and Mm. just uh, um, confusing. They also introduced this new field theory, which as far as I can tell, and I still work um, in the area of sexuality education and health education, none of my colleagues, anyone who works in this space academically or in schools has ever heard of field theory as a way of explaining anything to do with consent. They've just made this up and it's apparently uh, actually um, a theory that's most commonly applied to uh, people who work in public relations and communications strategy. They use field theory. Mm. <laughs> but never in bloody consent and sex ed. So <laughs> the PR company who've made these videos and website and everything have used their own, um, you know, theory mm. and tried to make it apply to consent and it just doesn't work and it's embarrassing and awful and I recommend that nobody use any of these materials. Um, and, in fact, actually I could review them for the government and send them a whole series of recommendations <laughs> to change them if they uh, were interested, if anyone's listening, uh, in the way that they did with safe schools. I could pretty much ignore the content and just tell them a bunch of shit that they should do, which is what they did with safe schools. But, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I could rant about for a while, but the fact that all of the uh, perpetrators in in the videos that I've seen are women, not men, when most Mm. services say 97% of uh, perpetrators around intimate partner violence are likely to be men, and there's some disputes about that, but people know obviously there's a sexist dynamic, so why have it all uh, women um, being disrespectful to men? There are um, insinuations in the video or quite actually open comments around uh, the choice to repair relationships that are not respectful, which is not something Mm -hmm. that uh, any of the major family violence, domestic violence organisations or counselling services or whatever uh, have as a go-to line. Oh, yeah, that sounds not very nice, but um, what can you do to make it up with your partner who just did this horrible thing to you? And also your responsibility. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the Coalition's domestic violence response earlier was about offering uh, relationship counselling to people in situations. And, you know, it showed, like, they talk about radical Marxist gender ideology. Well, this is a radical conservative gender mm. ideology which says that it's your responsibility to stay in a relationship like God told you to no matter what sort of mistreatment you're experiencing and that's the pressure that they're trying to bring to bear on people to maintain the sense of that you must be obedient to the demands of the nuclear family and your agency and your well-being comes second to respecting that institution, whereas the Safe Schools Program was very... Um, different and rightly so it was about making people challenge and question the sort of gendered expectations many of which contribute to people getting into these situations people are taught women are taught from a young age that you have you should put up with accommodate to try and understand where other people are coming from 
um, i.e. put other people's interests and well-being and needs ahead of your own. Well, you know, that's actually not a good mentality to be in if you find yourself in, a, in an abusive situation. It's just another barrier you have to overcome to get out of that. And so, you know, educational programs that call into question a lot of these norms are valuable in a way that what the government's trying to force down our throat now is mm. the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that I I think that challenging of um, uh, heteronormativity basically is pretty uh, abhorrent to conservatives and Liberal Party members as they showed with with the attacks on safe schools but it is harder for them to be just blatantly you know homophobic and transphobic so they have tried to wrap it up in all these other kind of um, cloaks to make it more acceptable to attack without saying we just think less people should be gay and nobody should be trans and people should stick together in their relationships and everyone should raise their children in um you know these heteronormative units and not complain about it and put up with it and perform the roles and get used to following rules about every aspect of your life because you're going to have to do that at work and you should be grateful for the tiny moments of joy or whatever that you might have one day if you work hard enough and so mm-hmm. yeah it, it safe schools and not even very um very uh radically at all just started to question some of those things and and felt the the wrath of the conservative backlash but Mm. this Mm. thing i mean i think the good society materials as far as i can see have nothing about the even the possibility of being gay in them all of the videos are seemingly heterosexual couples Mm. Uh, i think they did manage to get a person of color in one of the videos so they ticked that diversity box but you know uh completely heteronormative backwards in terms of the representation of most experiences of violence and and completely disguised a conversation that young people are very easily uh, able to have to just say, okay, let's talk about when you're going to have sex with someone. What does it mean to ha- get consent from that person? What kind of questions can you ask? What kind of discussions can you have? What difference does it make if you've been drinking or taking drugs or not? Like, they can all have that. It's not that difficult. You can just have that conversation and you don't need a weird analogy about a milkshake or whatever. But I think, again, that's about saying, that's about cloaking and disguising a pretty awful set of messages underneath um, the milkshake thing. And also a whole bunch of that um, site has nothing to do with sex or or even an analogy to do with consent. It has these project things which are about how can you make your community better and contribute and presumably volunteer or you know some community thing. So the whole thing is is very strange. The stupid analogies, yeah, as you say, it's just about reinforcing that you can't talk about sex. It's shameful, like, and all of that is what contributes to people feeling yeah. like this is something they've done, they've brought on themselves, that they've failed to navigate properly because it's not if it can't be openly talked about in society like how can you bring it up with it you know it just tells you that that's your personal cross to bear and um you know one of the the values of the safe schools thing is is talking about these things in a matter-of-fact way that doesn't patronize young people that that 
makes the point that everyone goes through these experiences and you can talk about them and it's important to be able to do that so as you can be safe and learn how to you know navigate uh, relationships to mm. protect yourself and your own well-being and it's the same thing that, yeah. yeah the royal commission into you know abuse in the church was basically it's all shame and stigma and mm. not talking about stuff and so what needs to happen in catholic education and catholic education have started doing more of this is like having open discussions about if you feel uncomfortable about you know and these parts of your body and let's name them properly are private and shouldn't be touched by an adult and shouldn't be touched without consent and if that happens you should talk to someone no one's ever said that in catholic schools before Mm. and therefore no one talked about the stuff that was happening and the other element in terms of the respectful relationship uh, material in Victoria, which has also been under heavy attack and has been since it came out, is that there is an element at the centre of it that talks about power and the power relationships between people. And that's not just about gender-based power, but saying there's different power relationships between a boss and a worker. You know, there's a power relationship between a Liberal MP and a Liberal minister and a Liberal staffer, you know, and trying to raise the idea that there are some structural things that enable sexual violence as well. And so there are really obvious structural things that could happen to at least protect people or um, give people options of getting out of relationships, like the basic thing of you stay in a crap relationship because you you feel like you could financially not survive otherwise um, or you might lose your job if you take too much leave or you have to re- you can't relocate or you feel responsible for your children you can't find childcare so like all of that stuff is also um, often missing from these things just about education right yeah and that is such a common factor in abuse that there's some sort of structural arrangement that facilitates or or gives a sense of impunity to the people who are carrying out abuse which is also a sort of reflection of how hierarchical our society is. Like so many of the relationships we have with other people are through some structure of control or coercion, like whether it's, you know, interactions you have with government when you're a kid, with parents, with teachers, with all the sort of um, authority figures in people's lives. Like there's very few relationships in our lives that are genuinely equal with other people, Mm. like, and that's, uh, you know, I think the workplace, one of the things that, um, you know, creates a different mentality amongst workers from almost any other social class is that in the workplace, the people you work alongside, by and large, are your equals. Um, and that creates a whole different dynamic to those interactions than almost all or so many of um, the other interactions and relationships you have with people in your life. Um, you know, the family's a hierarchical institution, the education system is, the workplace is between workers and the boss, your relationship with government is one of powerlessness, um, you know, to act to deal with um, welfare payments or tax, whatever. Um, you know, it's just hierarchy and, you know, control everywhere you turn. And that's an argument really for a society that's more equal where people have more day-to-day control and they that control is organised on a collective democratic basis that um, 
you know, where people feel they have a right to have input into the structures that govern them as opposed to our society where there's that that idea is drummed out of you from your from childhood. Yeah. And making that direct correlation between collective workers' action around things like winning higher wages, improving conditions, extending leave periods, like all of that is directly related to the experiences people have of oppression and particularly sexism. And so even little things like talking openly at work about how much you get paid with each other that is really frowned upon socially, deemed socially unacceptable or whatever, like that is a way of fighting sexism to say, are you getting paid the same as I'm getting paid and Mm. who's negotiated a raise in their salary on their own and not with everybody else at the same time or, Mm. you know, who's getting penalty rates because they kicked up a fuss but no, didn't tell anyone else about it. And and so often because of the gendered stereotypes that we're raised with, it's men who end up getting paid more often just because they ask for it or whatever. So all of that stuff that can seem, yeah, economic in, in a crude way is actually much more about our social relations as well. And I think, you know, that's why in the Marxist tradition, in the socialist tradition, you know, we've never – separated those economic political demands and and the fact that fighting exploitation is the way to fight oppression yeah and that goes to like how um you know there's a lot of emphasis on education which is fine there should be better education but education alone is not going to transform the situation because most people even people who abuse other people they don't do it because they think it's right or they've been told that it's you know thoroughly appropriate to, to abuse or rape or whatever people. Mostly it's associated with shame and secrecy. Um, but, you know, they do it because, you know, people's lives are degraded under capitalism. There's, you know, um, sense of uh, inadequacy, shame, um, of hostility that is taken out on people that it can be taken out on, which is, you know, people that have less power, less way to protect themselves, less uh, recourse to um, stop abusive behaviour. Um, and then so it raises the question, well, why, why, why are people like this in the first place? And, you know, I think it's because our society doesn't provide for people. It doesn't take, well, what are people's needs and how do we fulfil them as the key starting point for, you know, why, why society exists and how it functions. It's about, you know, ma- making money, as we all know, like that's the bread and butter of capitalism. Um, and, you know, People's living standards, by and large, are always um, under threat, even if they're not so bad. Like in Australia, they're always under threat. Like, you know, they're always trying to take away penalty rates or, you know, do this or that or your job is never uh, fully. Very few people have very secure jobs. So there's a lot of uncertainty and a sense of, you know, you don't have what you need and if and if things are taken away from you, the society won't be there to provide for you. And the breakdown of connections between people through, you know, what, the workers' movement would have once better provided or just a general civil society. So people feel alone, inadequate. Um, they've come through the capitalist education system being compared to other people all the time. So a sense of it's all, you know, if you can't succeed, it's all your individual fault. And you have, you know, people, um, you know, a society of extreme inequality where people live lives that, you know, of deprivation where they should be provided for. So, of course, you know, you have that manifests in 
weird, distorted, alienated um, behaviour between people. Um, and I think it's more than just, like we need greater gender equality, but we also just need generally to raise the level of, you know, dignity that, that the majority of people live in and provide more outlets for people to be connected to one another, which capitalism systematically deprives people of. So so we have some feedback for the good society. Actually, we have an idea about what a good society might look like. And I, I think we do, yeah. I think we call it socialism. So yeah. let's fight for that. Any uh, any other thoughts, Louise, that we've missed? Um, I still can't believe you gave SCOMO a 0.5, but, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. It might I get, mean, yeah, it might get brought down in um, marking moderation. What do you think, Liam? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. definitely. That's just a little academic joke for you there, Louise. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us again. It was good to catch up and um, I'm sure there'll be more to say later on on this topic as well. So no doubt. Look forward to part three. Mm, yeah. Uh, this is Red Flag Radio. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Louise. We have a world to win. <laughs>